I will make room for you. Um, There's a lot of things that can crowd out just room and space. You ever have a junk drawer or a storage closet? The laughter, I think, is evidence that we do. And that it can become very out of control very, very quickly. Have you ever thought about in your mind, if you have a junk drawer or a storage closet, and and I think a way to assess that might be, how many voices and thoughts are in your head, like all the time, how crowded is that? And then in the midst of all those voices and all those feelings that crowd out stuff, we have a God who says, I speak to you. And one way that God speaks to us is Jesus came and he shared parables. So we're moving into a sermon series on the parables of Jesus, but this first one we're going to touch on is the parable of the sower. And there is this repeated phrase, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And uh, looking out, I'm seeing most people's ears. Some people are covering up their ears with hair, but we have ears. Now, I've also understood, and I'm beginning to discover that perhaps with age, Uh, We hear less than what we heard maybe when we were younger. But I'll never forget that I was at a Christian camp in seventh grade, and there was another kid, seventh, eighth grade girl, that got up, and she began to communicate in sign language, and there was someone up there that was communicating with her. And she shared her story by way of sign language that, She has been deaf all of her life. And that a lot of people feel sorry for her because she can't hear. But she said, many of you are able to hear, but you've never heard the voice of God. And she said, I feel sorry for you. He who has an ear to hear, let them hear. So what if we just acknowledged today, number one, God wants to speak to us. 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel's a little boy, and he's awakened at night. Samuel, Samuel. Remember, he thinks it's Eli. He goes to Eli. He wakes Eli up. Eli liked to sleep, or at least that's the way I understand it. It's like, it wasn't me calling you. Go back to bed. Again, Samuel. Samuel. Samuel wakes up, goes to Eli. Hey, Eli, you called? It wasn't me. Why you keep waking me up? Go back to bed. Third time, Samuel. Samuel. Samuel jumps up, runs to Eli. Eli says, if you wake me up again, this is the Stephen version. And then all of a sudden, Eli goes, wait, Samuel? 
God, God may be speaking to you. And if he is, don't wake me up. But say to God, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What if that's our posture today through the rest of the service? You know what God says? He says, number one, I speak. Number two, I know your name. And number three, I am persistent. Three, four times, God speaks to Samuel to get his attention. At the end of that, there's a few things God says, but one thing is, I'm doing something new in Israel. I'm gonna bring people's hearts back to me. What if God wants to do something new in Alton and bring people's hearts back to him? Luke chapter eight, I'm gonna read the passage. We're gonna have an opportunity to get to hear a testimony and then I'll continue on with Luke chapter eight. Beginning with verse one, I'm going to read through 15, and then at the end of the sermon, I'm going to camp in, uh, not camp, but I'll also touch on 16 through 18. Luke 8, beginning with verse 1, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. I'll stop there just for a second. You all know the kingdom of God is good news? Um, I'm glad I heard all those amens. Um, Sometimes I forget. I'm like, oh, wait, no, wait, this is good. He's bringing all good to a world that is broken and is hurting. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, fall away. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that and the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your spirit, your truth, and your eagerness to speak to us. We do pray that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would fill us with your spirit, and give us a hunger, God, and a thirst to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a lot of ways to communicate if you're with someone. There's also some ways to communicate if you're not with someone. And uh, I think it's interesting that Jesus came for us. He lived with us. And now he lives in each believer. But even though Jesus did not need any human beings, he was self-sufficient in himself, it had to feel good, at least at a human level, that he's got people with him. So if you look closely, he's walking with the 12, but he's also walking with some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Well, guess what? Who healed them? Jesus healed them. Jesus is proving that he is for you and he's for them by the way that he heals and the way that he helps and the way that he delivers. He's proven he's for you because you woke up this morning, guys. But for these women, and we know Mary Magdalene had seven demons that had gone out of her, okay? Um, I don't know what that means other than I think that's pretty bad. I think that's pretty scary. I think that's a pretty dark spot to be because Jesus says that the thief who is the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and demons do what the devil wants them to do. So Mary Magdalene has seven demons in her, and Jesus frees her and delivers her from that. And she realizes in that moment, my life will never be the same again. And she goes all out and she follows Jesus. We also meet Joanna, the wife of Husa. We don't know what he's up to as far as following Jesus, but we do find out what his job is. Dude works for Herod. He's actually in charge of all of Herod's personal estate. He is the steward of Herod's stuff. Herod, famous, powerful, rich politician, probably took pretty good care of Husa. Herod also had insecurity, power play issues about who's going to be the king. I want to keep my power. But what 
he doesn't know that God knows, which I think proves that God has a sense of humor, is Herod is employing Husa, and Husa is married to Joanna, who takes potentially large sums of money that Herod paid her husband and fuels it into Jesus's ministry for healing and help. I talk about being for somebody. You know that expression, put your money where your mouth is? These women are doing that. Notice it says, and then we don't know a lot about Susanna, and then it says many others who are not mentioned, but it says who provided for them out of their means. Notice the 12 disciples are also with Jesus. Maybe they just don't have means. They have left their jobs and they're following Jesus and they're utilizing it that way. But women, at least according to Luke 8, funded Jesus's ministry. Courageous, sacrificial, all in, with all heart, women said, Jesus is my hope and my savior, and I'm going to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy, and I'm going to make eternal investments in the kingdom of God. Eddie testified to an eternal investment that his mom made in his life, and we all are the beneficiaries as Eddie blesses us with the ministry that he does here. Pretty powerful. How'd that happen? Because God gave Eddie's mom a spiritual ear to hear. Do you have a spiritual ear to hear? There's a sower sowing seed. And then there's the seed. The seed is the word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So at this time, we're going to get to hear from Natalie Runyon. She uh, has been digging into the word of God. And when you dig into the word of God, guess what happens? The word of God makes an impact in your life. And uh, we're going to get to hear from her now. So, have you guys heard about Church Center? That was, that was a joke. Um, I'm actually not here to talk to you about Church Center, but if I've read the room correctly, you guys all love an analogy about sports ball. And my community group, I told them I was going to do this, and they were like, don't do it. I'm going to do it anyway. So, the strangest thing happened this fall. I have a household full of uh, teen and preteen girls, and nobody ever really watches sports ball. But then all of a sudden, I noticed there was a sudden interest in the NFL. <laughs> so last Sunday, as I was walking to the kitchen, the TV was turned on to an NFL game. I was like, what is happening here? Even when Jude still lived at home, we weren't really watching football. So I noticed there was like, I don't know, maybe five minutes left. If you're really into football, like don't fact check me because I'm probably wrong. I think that the score for the Chiefs game, it was like 17 to seven at that point. And um, I was like, okay, well, I think I know enough about football to kind of figure out how we got um, 17 and seven points. And then I went and sat down with Eva and watched the rest of the game. 
Well, as I was thinking about what I was gonna say leading up to sharing with you guys today, I thought there's a difference between watching a clip of the football game and watching the whole game, am I right? I mean, I don't really know because I don't like sports that much, but for those of you who do, it's different to watch the game in its entirety than it is to just see the highlight reels, right? So I was thinking for myself, that for so long has been how I've read the Bible. I've read highlight reels. I've taken books of the Bible or chapters of the Bible and I've really dug into them and like I could tell you all about that play, but I couldn't really, I didn't really grasp the whole story. So before I tell you this next part, I want you to understand that I love to read books the way Pastor Stephen loves to bike. Maybe not that much. Maybe it's more like swim. Um, But I love to read a lot. So last year in 2023, I um, made it a goal to read and record that I read 100 books. And on November 16th, I remember the date, I woke up that morning and before my alarm and the Lord was like, seek my face today. And so I did. And I just, I spent the morning in prayer and worship. Well, later on that afternoon, I was thinking about oh my goodness, I've only read 86 books. I have 14 more to read and the busiest season of the year is gonna come up. So I'm gonna need to choose books that have like a bigger font and a lower page count or I'm not gonna reach my goal. And as I was like thinking about making a plan for these last 14 books, the Lord spoke to my spirit and he was like, hey girl, have you ever read my book the way you read all these other books? Meaning, have you ever read my word straight through to let it impact you the way these other books do? And the reality is I have tried to read the Bible, like do the daily reading, like here I am, read it over the course of a year. But if you're reading Genesis in January and you're not getting to the New Testament till the end of September, you forgot most of the details of Genesis, right? So I was like, okay. Uh, my goal in 2024 is going to be to read the Bible straight through. And I actually started the end of December when I finished my 100 books for the year. And I was able, by the grace of God, to read through the Bible in 26 days. Now, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he told Satan, um, have you not heard that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father? And I knew I didn't have that kind of hunger in me. I was not that hungry to read through the Bible. In fact, I was asking people to pray for me, and I was very frightened that I was going to get to the prophets, and I was going to be like, I cannot do this. Bye. Um, But I did make some rules for myself, and one of them was that I could not read any other book until I finished this. So, got through it. I just wanted to share with you guys a few things that the Lord showed me through reading the Bible like this, because I was not, um, I really didn't have faith that God was going to use it to change my heart in the way that he did, Um, and he did. Like, why is that surprising? That's what he does, right? So, number one, I became more fully convinced of the divine origin of the Bible. Now, I'm sure you guys probably are like me, where sometimes you are like, is this all really true? 
Do I really believe this? Am I staking my life on something that actually happened? I mean, I believe that Jesus was the son of God, born of a virgin, died on a cross and rose from the dead, right? Is it really true? Now, whenever my faith seems weak, I always take a hike which I know that sounds weird, but a few weeks ago we were in Psalm 119 and we talked about um, how God testifies to us through the world and through his word. And so I always took a hike and I prayed and that's how the Lord spoke to me. And I was always reconvinced, like this couldn't just happen, right? There has to be a creator, which is what Paul told us in Romans 1. Like we're all accountable before God because of what we see of him in nature, But what reading the Bible showed me straight through, and I have heard this my whole life, the Bible was written in over 1,500 years by about 35 different authors, but it all has one theme, right? But being able to parrot that back and then being totally convinced, like when Pastor Stephen came in my office, I was like, this could be nothing but the word of God. It could be nothing else. Like there is no way when you read it from beginning to end like that, that you can't not be convinced that its origin is divine. And so if God's word had its origin in God, and because I now know that it did, I can believe it and I can stake my life on it. So number one, I became more fully convinced of the divine origin of the Bible. Number two, it gave me a new lens for understanding hard things. So the last two years have been pretty challenging uh, for my family and I just in terms of losing a lot of people we love. And what's one of the first things that we ask ourselves when hard things happen? We're like, where is God? Is there even a God? And if there is a God, how could he be good? Because my circumstances are so bad. So as I read through the Bible, I saw how good God is. And it was able to help me reframe those hard things because now instead of asking, well, how could God be good? Now I can start with God is good. So if I know that God is good, how is he gonna work this circumstance out for good? Because I'm convinced he will because I saw him do it all through history, right? So it built my faith up in that way. Number three, it gave me clarity on what's really important to God. So sometimes in the American church, we get really um, consumed with things that actually God isn't that concerned about in his word. He doesn't talk about it that much. But then there are things in his word that he talks about a whole lot that we don't talk about as much. So this was one that I was personally convicted of was money. Jesus talked about money a whole lot in the New Testament. And if we look back at the Old Testament and read um, how he desired for his people, the Israelites, to live, we see that he's a God who said, don't glean to the edges of your field. If grapes fall off in the vineyard, you leave them there so that the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and the poor can be taken care of. His heart is always bent towards kindness and compassion. And what that showed me is that like all my life, I've thought that holiness is merely an absence of sin. So when God says, be holy as I am holy to his people, all I heard was stop sinning. And I mean, I really do want to stop sinning, but so far I've been unsuccessful at uh, totally getting there. 
But holiness isn't only the absence of sin, it's also the presence of goodness. It's the presence of goodness. So when we reflect God's heart with our money, with the way we speak, with the way we love others, we're showing the whole world what our Father is like. And so I just thought how we use our money says everything about what kind of father we think we have. And so I had to ask myself, what kind of father do I think I have? Do I believe that I have a father whose heart is towards generosity, who will supply all my needs? Is that what I believe or do I believe I need to live closed fisted? So it changed my heart in that way. And then the fourth reason is you guys, I was blown away by what it means that the Holy Spirit indwells God's people. Tina's back there waving. Listen, in the Old Testament, all the Israelites were separated from God, right? His presence was in the Holy of Holies behind a really thick curtain. They did not have access to the Father. And we not only have access to the Father by the blood of Christ, we have the Spirit of Christ himself dwelling in us as his children. That's amazing. It blew me away. I could talk about that all day. But to wrap this up, maybe God isn't calling all of you to read the Bible straight through. Now, if you're reading like close to 100 books a year, you need to read the Bible straight through. But for all of us, that Holy Spirit is calling us to a deeper walk. So back there on the wall, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And sometimes I come into church like I'm just here. I'm just present, not really thinking every time we hear the word of God, he wants to do a work in us. So today, as Pastor Stephen talks about the kind of soil our hearts have, what kind of soil does your heart have today? And for all of us, the Holy Spirit is going to show us what our next move is. Maybe it is just to pick up the Bible and read it. Maybe it's to work out our questions in community. Maybe it's to be more generous or to ask for forgiveness from someone we've wronged. Maybe there's a sin that we need to forsake, that we're doing something and we know it's wrong, but we love it and we don't want to stop. But the Holy Spirit can change our hearts, and I pray today he does. I pray that his word will land on good soil and that we will grow deep roots for his glory. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, you are so good so kind, so compassionate and merciful to people. You know that we are broken, we are far from you, but God, you still draw us close. You cultivate the soil of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray today that we would not be just hearers of the word. God, make us hearers, help us to hear your word, but also help us to do what your word says. May we reflect your love, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy to a world that doesn't even really know those things. Help us show the world how good our Father is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit for your glory, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Natalie. Um, 
loved that point that be holy as I am holy is not just the absence of sin, but it's the presence of goodness. And since day one of God birthing the bridge, I have prayed that we may be known as a people and that people in the community may know know us not so much as what we're against, but what we're for. That we are for love and patience and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And I forgot a few of those fruits, but there's nine of them total. And God, it's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's an invitation to pick up the word and, and read it right there. But that we would be known for those things. What's crazy is the very things that we're called to be known for, we cannot do apart from the Holy Spirit. Did you catch when Natalie said, I've, I've, I've been trying to not sin, but I've not been successful yet. That, that there is this need for, if, if the soil represents how you hear, the seed has to come into contact with the soil. And what's cool is our generous heavenly father is throwing seed everywhere. And I, I have questioned, I'm like, okay, well, the good soil, that's the one that produces fruit. And Jesus said, if you know me, that you'll produce fruit and you'll love other people. But I also know that my day-to-day existence and sometimes my hour-to-hour existence is there's going to be four different kinds of soils that we just heard about. And to do a quick review, uh, there's the soil along the way, the hard soil, the hard ground. So you just think hard and go hard-headed, stubborn, sure that you know what is right. I'm sure you never are like that, but you probably know some people like that. And you're probably also like that sometimes. But when you are like that, how well do you listen There's no need to listen because you know it all already, right? You're hard-hearted. You're unmoved. And nothing can kind of penetrate through to get your attention. You know, this is a a dangerous space and, and place to live in because if Satan, which... Keep in mind, this is the one that mentions Satan, right? Jesus says that the birds come and snatch the seed before it goes down. And they say that that's the devil's work. That the devil does not want that seed to go down deep inside you. So when you're hard-hearted and sure and convinced that no one can convince you otherwise. You are not making room for God, as we have saying before this sermon. What does it mean to be humble and teachable and open in the way that we work, the way that we live? I was thinking about, like, what, what makes me hard-hearted? 
sometimes my ego, my pride, my thinking that I know it all, but sometimes it's because I've been hurt. And it's one of these things where, well, someone took advantage of me or someone talked about me behind my back or someone didn't give me what I wanted and, you know, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me, so I won't be duped anymore by anyone. I am for myself. What a lonely place to be. I forgot who it was that wrote it. I want to say it's C.S. Lewis, but sometimes I give him credit for things just because I like him so much. By the way, 9 a.m., and I say I like him. I don't really know him. I like what he wrote. He talked about that the idea of, of, of living with having no love at all is a very lonely place and space. So you may be here today and you say, I, I, I'm hardened. I'm hardened because I've been hurt and I've discovered that if I stay hard, I have a protective barrier up. How's that working for you? Really? How's that working for you? Or there's also this sense in which like, oh, I, I know the word of God and I I, I know it, and you hear a familiar verse, and you stop listening to the verse because you're like, yeah, 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 I know what that says already. But the word of God is living and active and more powerful than any two-edged sword, and its intent is to pierce you. It's to go inside you. That double-edged sword is like, it's, it's the surgeon's knife but it cuts you in order to heal you. But if you don't think you need a doctor, and guys, by the way, we need a doctor every second of our lives. We need the great physician every second. And when that great physician is coming to you and saying, hey, you got this issue, and you know, if, if he's coming at you with the knife, naturally you're gonna go, no, 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 no. But he's coming toward you and saying, I love you but this part of your heart is hard and I want to break it up and I want to soften you so that my word and my healing medicine can come in. Hard heart. The devil's objective to keep you hard hearted. And guys, just so you understand, I think, I think it's important to say the full scope of this. I, there's different interpretations of this parable. Some say that the only truly authentic Christian is the one who the good soil lands on. And there's a part of me that says, yeah, I think that's probably true. But boy, I have seen, maybe they're Christians, maybe they're not, and just say they are. And I've seen myself, who is a Christian, who has been touched by the Holy Spirit, behave in such a way that my actions deny my confession. Beware of your intent to be so right you might be wrong. And some of you may be going like this right now. What, you can be so right that you're wrong? When you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it's not just enough to do the right thing. You need to do the right thing in the right way with the right people from the right motivation. And that's a lot of rights. 
And the only way that I have any chance of being truly righteous like that is if I am filled with and led by the Holy Spirit of God. I can't get that many rights. So, the hard heart. Next one is the shallow soil or the shallow heart. Think, just for the sake of time, um, the stereotype is middle school crush, okay? That one day you like one person and then the next day you like someone else and then the next day you like someone else or the fair weather fan or the jump on the bandwagon type fan and you've had an emotional experience and encounter and God has touched you and go, this is awesome. And it continues to be awesome until some circumstance hits your life when it's no longer awesome and then all of a sudden you check out. The sun scorches it because there's no moisture. The reason why there's no moisture is because there's no deep root. I don't think it's by accident that Moses wanted to free Israel at 40 and took it upon himself to kill an Egyptian and then ran for the hills. And then God just... Let him live for 40 years in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And during that time of obscurity, God is giving Moses deep roots. Moses at 40 thought he could do God's work in his own strength. And just to prove to Moses that you can't do God's work in your own strength, God kind of shelved Moses for 40 years. Here, love your wife, raise your kids, and take care of sheep. And then at 80, God appears to Moses and the burning bush. And God says, Moses, now. And Moses goes, No, not me. I can't do this. He can. God can. You can't. God can. Don't despise those moments when you feel like you may be shelved. And don't underestimate what God may be doing in you to give you deep, deep roots so he can prepare you for what may happen later. Third one, thorny soil, crowded, maybe a better word for it. This one I think is one we all can identify with. It is the root goes in, but we've not done the appropriate weeding. Okay, it's amazing how weeds grow. It's amazing how weeds choke out the stuff that we most want to have grow. So Jesus loves us and says, let me identify for you three different kinds of weeds. The worries of this world, riches, and pleasure. And if you run after these things, it's going to choke out the very life of the thing you want most. And then finally... The good soil, 
those who hear the word, hold it fast. They hold on to it. Think about a loved one who has maybe written a letter toward the end of their life or their final words. And you get to be the recipient of the final words of a loved one. You don't forget those. Jesus has written us a love letter in this book and said, I want you to know my heart through this. I'm good, I'm kind, I'm generous. Will you hold fast to my word? We hold on to it. It's interesting, it says, with an honest and good heart. Uh, some translations say noble, but noble and honest are kind of together. Um, I love this description, okay, because God is the one who gives us a new heart to receive this. But if you go to the word and you're not honest, then the word is, you, you go back to being hard-hearted. There has to be an honesty. There has to be a willingness to say, God, may this word, may the Bible be a mirror for me. And uh, you know what the beautiful thing is? Sometimes the mirror will first show you, oh, I have all this stuff on my face. I need to clean up. But secondly, the mirror shows you your Savior, that you have been washed, that you have been given a robe of righteousness, that you are made new. So I shared I would continue on with 16 through 18. We're going to go ahead and read that now. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Um, I don't think... I think he's serving on our safety team today. Uh, but Bill came in with a St. Louis Blues Robert Thomas jersey and a Blues hat that he told me about was signed by Kelly Chase. Sports ball. Here we go, Natalie. <laughs> Robert Thomas represented the St. Louis Blues in the All-Star game yesterday. I actually did not watch that game, but I do know he represented the Blues in that game. And Bill decided to represent Robert Thomas today with his St. Louis Blues jersey with Thomas and his number on the back. Now, guys, there are obviously ways to kind of overdo this, okay? In fact, if you wear a cross around your neck or if you have a bumper sticker, honk if Jesus loves you, or some other bumper sticker, something about your faith, or there was a joke back in the day that the Joy FM bumper stickers always were the worst drivers. 
when you represent, you have to ask yourself, what's that look like for me? Which is why I think out of anything that I heard Natalie say today is this incredible gift of holiness is so much more than the absence of sin. It's the presence of goodness. So when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he wasn't so concerned about the presence of sin as he was about the manifestation of the goodness of God. Now, obviously, the one rules out the other, right? Light penetrates darkness and darkness flees and light is stronger than darkness. But he was the light of the world. So uh, there are a lot of people who have been hurt and harmed by the people of God and the church and church organizations and church structures. It, It just happens because people have not successfully avoided all sin. But Jesus comes, the manifestation of goodness. You know what's crazy? Jesus loves the quote-unquote sinner and the quote-unquote saint that forgot he's still a sinner. Y'all hear that? Jesus loves the quote-unquote sinner and the quote-unquote saint that forgot he's still a sinner. And Jesus came for both. He came to seek and save and restore. And he is goodness embodied. And he invites us to a meal. And it's crazy, baffles my mind, that the 12 apostles were at this meal I kind of want to go after reading the first three verses of Luke 8 and going, God, you do all things well, but I wonder where were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna? And I get it. It was probably an intimate meal that he just had. Like it was just his brothers, right? Like the if gathering. Y'all are going to have a few weeks. It's just going to be your sisters, okay? And that there is a time for that and a place for that. But that Jesus comes and says, on the night that he's betrayed and him knowing that all those people are going to desert him. My body broken for you. My blood shed for you. Why did he do that? You see, the, the power is not in the soil. The power in order for you to bear fruit is in the seed. And John tells us in chapter 12 that Jesus said, unless a seed goes down into the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. Jesus is the seed, definite article with a capital S, that goes down so that we may not only be saved, but that we may bear fruit, fruit that will last and that our light may shine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being present.
continually with us. You never, ever let us go. You hold us fast. So we pray because you hold us fast that we would hold fast to you and to your word and that we would remember that we have been blessed by goodness touching us. The goodness of God. We pray that you would give us faith to trust you And God, when our ground is hard, our hearts are hard, when they're shallow, when they're crowded, God, we ask you to um, help us make room for you, that you would toil the soil of our hearts, that you'd give us a new heart, and that you would uh, do in us what we're unable to do for ourselves. We know you will. We know you're faithful. Help us to call on you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to invite those who are going to help serve communion to come up. And I talked at the very beginning of the worship service about hunger, right? Hunger and thirst. And uh, there are times when I hunger for the right stuff and there are times that I hunger for Doritos and cookies. And uh, Jesus tells us that he is the one who satisfies our thirst and our hunger and that we go to him for uh, our sustenance, for our healing, for our hope and for our salvation. So before you're invited up, and by the way, if you are trusting in Jesus for Savior, a Savior and Lord and King, then this invitation is for you. He wants to meet you here. Um, but he doesn't want you to crowd him out with all this other stuff. And he does honor a decision he says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And part of that denying yourself could be, God, I've been stubborn and a know-it-all and hard-hearted. Would you humble me? Guys, you're gonna get humbled. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. Okay, so you got two options. Either God can humble you or the world will humble you. You want God to humble you. He's a lot softer than the world. And asking him to, he will. Number two, it could be that shallow ground. It could be just, man, I'm an emotional roller coaster. There's nothing wrong with emotions. But in the midst of the emotional roller coaster, help me to know that when I don't get exactly what I want when I want it, that God, you're doing things in the invisible realm to make my roots go down deep. So teach me patience and perseverance and how to trust in you. And then if it's crowded, worries, riches, pleasure, just say, God, I I give this to you. I, I wanna trade this thing that is not life 
for the thing that is life eternal. And then that seed, and I can't even explain it, but I was talking to somebody before service and they're like, you know, when you taste the grace and mercy of God, it doesn't go away. That's why our mission statement is connecting people to God's indelible grace, indelible, the mark that doesn't go away. And that seed will go down and it'll change you. It'll change you from the inside out. You know, it's cool. It won't just be the absence of sin. It'll be the presence of goodness because a good God has come and dwells in you. It's a pretty good deal. So, uh, Alexa, make an announcement. Dinner is ready. See
Another thing that Natalie shared was you can see just a clip of a game or you can see the whole game. And moving on in in chapter 8, Jesus calms the storm because his disciples are scared and in danger of harm. Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. And Jesus heals a woman who has been sick with an issue of blood for 12 years and raises a little girl from the dead. 
Sounds like some pretty powerful goodness right there. And that same Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. But when you leave this place, he wants to give you his eyes and ears and his heart so that when you see one possessed or oppressed by demons, when you see one in danger of harm, when you see one sick and broken, that you would bring healing and wholeness and hope. Not your fruit, his fruit in you because that seed goes down deep. And when that happens, the world will know that God sent Jesus to be the savior of the world. I invite you to stand and we have one more song to sing.
saves, he still helps, and he still is sowing seed, throwing it down into our hearts. If the Lord touched you today, and you want to share with somebody, and you don't quite know what that looks like, there are these cards here, you can write down your name, a way to get a hold of us, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, and if there's something God's put on your heart, prayer or anything else, uh, there's a community here of people. Uh, and in many ways, we're beggars, but we know where bread is. And it's where Jesus is. And uh, just one beggar telling another beggar, hey, there's bread over here. Let's receive this benediction. And now God, to you, the living hope to Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King. Work in us. Put that seed deep down inside us and may it overflow so that we may shine with your light so that people may see our good works and glorify you this week. 
May Jesus be known in our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May you go with God's grace and peace.